Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. This WBEZ podcast is supported by Hasia, whose Executive Fellows Program provides Black and Latinx business owners with real-world tools and strategies needed to master fundamental management concepts related to company stability and growth. Registrants learn through one-on-one executive coaching sessions with subject matter experts in the areas of finance, business development, operations, and legal. More info at HACIAWorks.org. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette. I'm Greta Johnson. It's the Nerdette Book Club, which is just like a regular book club, except you don't have to share your snacks. It is the month of October, and our selection this month is Lauren Groff's novel, The Vaster Wilds. It is about a girl in early American colonial history who runs away from her settlement and has to figure out how to survive in the woods. That's all I'm going to say for now, but we are about to have an extremely spoilery conversation. So if you have not read the book and you do not want to know what happens, go listen to our spoiler-free interview with Lauren Groff. It is in the feed. If you have read the book or you're totally cool with spoilers either way, we are so glad to have you. And I am also very excited to introduce you to this month's guests. With us, we have long-distance dog sledder Blair Braverman, the author of a couple of books, including the novel Small Game, which is about a survivalist TV show that goes terribly wrong. Blair, welcome to Nerdette. Greta, I am so happy to be here. I am so happy to have you. Also here is the delightful MJ Franklin, an editor for the New York Times Book Review. MJ, welcome back. Thank you. Thank you for having me again. It's always a delight to join. Yay. Okay, so we heard from a lot of listeners with this one, which I'm very excited about. Here is just a smattering to get us started. This book tackles both the beauties and the horrors. So brutal, but also so beautiful. I could relate to the kind of joy and burden of being alone most of the time. It was an experience, I'll tell you that. (laughs) (laughs) So I want to start by asking you, and I have a feeling I know the answer for both of you, but I'm curious, do you like, did you ever think that you would like a book that really is just one girl in her head? running away in the woods. Blair? I mean, that's my life. Um, so <laughs> I, I would assume that I would like it very much as soon as I hear about any novel related to any of those things or memoir or, uh, you know, any form of art, I'm all in um, because I, you know, I'm i a dog sledder and I live in the woods and I go out for sometimes weeks at a time by myself with my dogs mm. Um, and the nice thing is I can talk to them. So I'm not just completely lost in my own head, but they don't talk back. Yeah. But yeah, absolutely up my alley. This was also surprisingly up my alley too, considering I am a city girl through and through. Mm -hmm. Um, I live in New York. I was born and raised around Baltimore. Um, and so, um, this 
is so different from my world. And yet, I thought I might like it because I love kind of sad, contemplative literary fiction where like not a lot happens, but you're kind of stuck in right. someone's mind <laughs> and you're like kind of watching them grow and change. And like, sure, there may be plot, but the um, the tension is in the interiority, I've heard someone describe it as. And uh, mm. this has so much urgency. And as some of the, the readers um, that uh, spoke earlier said, so much brutality to it, but also mm. there's so mm-hmm. much interiority too um and i i really loved kind of kind of following along with that i i'm delighted that was what i predicted both of you would say so <laughs> i'm feeling really good about this entire situation what about you i feel like i you i am a plot girl mm. through and through and it's really interesting to think about this one because there it, I mean, stuff happens, but I think you're right, MJ, like the interiority of it is so much. And it's also still so propulsive that I dev- I read it the first time, listened to it the second time, loved it both times. I think I'm also just like a complete Lauren Groff stan, like literally <laughs> anything she writes. I'm here for it. You know? Same, same. Um, <laughs> you know that TikTok sound that's like, if she has a million fans, I am the leader. If she has one fan, it's me. If she has zero fans, <laughs> I'm dead. that is me with lauren groff i love her books so much i've read all of them her book delicate Mm. edible birds is one of my favorite all-time books period Mm. um and so i i i'm glad i'm in in a company of the lauren groff stands absolutely totally that's awesome and i'm really excited to ask you about like how this one fits in with her other books because i haven't read them all and i would love to hear how you're making sense of the through line of what she's doing because i am just like so fascinated by her brain. But I think we should start with uh, how disgusting this book is. (laughs) Because there's a lot of like pretty gross stuff that happens. And this is something that also caught the attention of our listener, Sarah from Eugene, Oregon. I'm a person who likes to have a snack or sometimes even have a meal while I'm reading a book. But The Vaster Wilds was a book that definitely made me feel quite guilty about whatever it was I was munching on uh, while the nameless girl was running through the wilderness and starving to death. So uh, it was an interesting experience reading it. Love the show. Thanks. There was also just so much body stuff. Like the the phrase hot piss immediately comes to mind. Yeah, I agree. Um, I this was an interesting read for me because um, one, I'm a vegetarian and I've been a vegetarian for oh, like 20 oh years. And so reading, wow. <laughs> so reading what she ate, which I know is necessary. Mm-hmm. And like, mm-hmm. she has to eat, she has to survive. And I actually have a friend who is a science editor who once told me we were watching Planet Earth and she said, MJ, you always root for the predator because the predator has to survive for the ecosystem. <laughs> um, and I was like, so th- that's a whole other thing. I don't I'll defer to her. Interesting. But it was <laughs> It was just hard for me to read some of the the really graphic and gruesome scenes of her killing these animals. And at the start, there's the fish that she's like, she is found frozen in the ground and and she she picks it up and starts to eat it and she's slicing it and she um and it's like kind of and it's slimy and then she eats half of it but by that point and it's thawed and it comes back to life and starts Uh, flailing uh, around with half of its body uh, gone uh. like that was so brutal or they're like can that happen does that happen with fish i have no clue I'm going to ask life, my fish friends. <laughs> I was going to say, I feel like of the three of us, the person who would know that is you. I just, I just know the right people to ask because I was there for it in the story. But now I'm like hearing you talk about it. I'm like, 
Mm. Could could this happen? And how do I avoid it? <laughs> Somehow, like knowing how much research she did for this book, and like mm. Greta, you talked about that in your interview with her. Um, yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. Knowing how much research she did for this book, I believe her. And yet, my heart of hearts hopes that's not possible. <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but then also, there's like the baby squirrels that she eats, and then also yes. like she like. She talks about stealing one duck from its partner and the I other know. duck will wake up and find that his partner is gone and give this like oh. inhuman whale. And it's like, it's, it's, I, I want her to live. She has to eat. And yet there's this, it's brutal. That's the, that's the word. It is. It's heartbreaking too. Yeah. You really root for the dried berries. Like when she finds the dried <laughs> berries, you're like, just fill your pack. Oh, thank God. Yeah. Well, and then it's like, you don't need a fire for that. Like it's going to be okay, you know? But then it's like, well, the dried berries kill her. Like she gets so sick. <laughs> oh my God. So one thing that also came up in my conversation with Lauren, which I thought was really interesting, is the idea of kind of reframing like American frontier narratives, which this mm. book is definitely doing. And I mean, I think even just the initial premise of like putting a young girl at the center of this book is really what sets it out. How did that stand out to you, Blair? You know, it's interesting because I feel like my life was so shaped by the survival books that I read as a kid and what was available to me. And right. so much of what was available to me was boys. Yes. Um, boys going out into the woods. And <laughs> and I, I noticed this pattern, which is like, there's two things that can happen in a survival story. And one is that the human goes out and tames the wilderness and makes it their own, makes it uh-huh. resemble home, you know, like, and they sort of win. Like they have their shelter and they have their everything they need. Or the protagonist goes out in the wilderness and instead of taming the wilderness, they become feral themselves. Mm. And Mm -hmm. it is almost always along gendered lines. So the survival protagonists who go out and tame the wilderness are boys and men. And the ones who go out Mm. and become feral are girls and women. Um, so I was sort of interested to see if this would fit into that pattern or how, and what does it mean? I mean, I think, I think it feeds into this idea that women are already sort of half feral (laughs) to begin with and like, let us loose with the wolves and like the process will be completed. (laughs) I do kind of love that. Well, do you think this fulfills that? I mean, I think you could argue that it's kind of in the middle where it's like, like, I feel like she very much is coexisting with the land. Well, here's the question. I mean, what makes it a survival story? Does the protagonist have to survive? Mm. Like, <laughs> I mean, yeah, is this a survival story or is this a slow death in the wilderness story? Interesting. That's fascinating because I thought of it as a survival story. I, I mean, I kind of thought of it as like she dies when she's older. Mm. Like she, I think I thought of it as a survival story. What did you think, MJ? I, I, so... I'm going to say yes. <laughs> I'm right <laughs> I'm right in between. I did think of this as a survival story, even though, spoiler alert, she does not survive. I know, big uh-huh. spoiler. Yeah. And that's because, <laughs> like, she's both within and without nature throughout. Yeah. She's 
she's in her element. She comes into herself. Like as mm. the the longer she is in the woods, in the wilderness, she is kind of utilizing her skills. She like she starts the the book off not even acknowledging her name. She ends mm. the book kind of talk like you kind of realize what her name is. Um, mm. She gets weaker but also so stronger and we you talked yeah. about that interior journey earlier and that's what happens she has this whole journey where she kind of blooms into herself mm, in nature and so yet beautiful. nature is so incredibly antagonistic every mm. single possible thing she encounters is about to kill her or hurt her <laughs> or and, and like i just i found myself um flagging every single time it was her talking about how um she had to warm herself up in her hands before she could do anything mm-hmm. or when she mm-hmm. loses her gloves and she cries and that's such a simple thing but she's like i've lost yeah. the only protection that i yeah. have from my hands which i need to function and that's because nature is this great terrible force that she is cast within and so for me it was kind of this mix of it's i guess technically not a survival story because she is she doesn't survive but it is this kind of like thriving story it's this mm. it's this blooming story mm. that is only possible through this antagonistic force which is nature well why is nature the antagonist in this story i mean the reason she's chased out into nature is because of people mm-hmm. uh the you know the men who she imagines are chasing her or who are chasing mm-hmm. her are people and those are people who mean her harm, whereas nature is an indifferent force that doesn't mean her anything at all. Why is why is it the indifferent nature that becomes the antagonist? It is interesting because, yeah, I'm not sure I would frame nature as the antagonist. I think I would use the word indifferent as well, though it definitely provides a great number of obstacles. For, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. I, I changed what I said. I, it's not the antagonist, <laughs> but it, it is that source of, of, of danger. Um, that's kind of what I loved about this book. And I, I full disclosure, like feel pretty mixed about this book because I think it works on so many different levels. And I think intellectually, mm. thematically, I loved it. I admired it. It's doing such incredible things in terms of narrative, in terms of it has this kind of like um, uh, force to it and it and what it's trying mm-hmm. to explore. And but the story itself didn't connect with me as much as some of Lauren's other books. But what I loved, loved, loved is how it explores just like that force of nature. Um, mm. And what what I think this is doing, and I think this is true of all of her books, she has this subversive force where she's flipping something or she's she's kind mm. of looking at a, an element from anew. And Blair, you mentioned how most like nature narratives are starring men or survival narratives are starring men. And this, this follows a young girl. And so that's different in itself. But then also it's kind of flipping and casting a new capital R romantic literature and it's like obsession mm-hmm. with the beauty and and sub- sublimity of of nature um mm. nature is all of those things in this book and yet it it, it is the source of danger as well um and I, I love that kind of complex conversation happening in the pages mm-hmm, for sure so what was it about the story that didn't quite work for you as much I felt like this was, as a Lauren Groff protagonist, um, the girl is this kind of like anti-character. You get more of the girl's body 
um, than you kind of get of her. And I think that's just oh, because it's like literally like, how are you going to survive? But like, yeah, you hear about her hands, you hear about her feet not fitting in the boots or needing to fit in the boots. You hear, hear about the cold or her thawing more than you kind of get some of her backstory. And when you do get her backstory, it's it's delivered in these like very quick Aside is delivered sideways. Mm. Think, for instance, of the um, when you find out like where she's from. That she, her her mother um, worked in a whorehouse, and that she was taken from that house. You hear about that through a flashback where the girl is talking about what her mistress says about her mother. Mm-hmm. And so uh-huh. there's a way in which like nature and this girl's body functioning and coming into itself throughout nature is the four. But as a character, she kind of like, um, I think intentionally so, kind of is obscured behind all of that thematically. Um, And so that's where it was one of those things where I really, really appreciated. But I think Lauren Groff writes these like incredible, unforgettable heroines Mm. that like, I I just didn't, I didn't, I didn't feel that same urgency to the character. I felt that urgency to her journey. Mm, Interesting. What did you think, Blair? Yeah. I mean, I certainly felt like whenever it takes a while until we start getting these little puzzle pieces about where and why and what and who she is and what is actually going on here. And I did feel like, oh, I needed the. So when I got to them, I was like collecting them along the way and using them to sort of try to make sense of the story as it was unfolding on the page. I am not nearly as well read in Lauren Groff as I would like to be. Um, to be completely honest, the main way that I know her is that my husband went to grad school with her and always says she oh, was like funny. such oh, a my fantastic God. classmate. <laughs> so really cool. I, I have, I hold her in very high esteem because of those stories, but I haven't. She's, she's on my list, and this absolutely makes me, you know, move her further up my list and wanting to read more and especially mm-hmm. compare it to this book. I will say one thing I appreciated about her as a character, I think, especially in this time period, is that when I think of like American colonial history. Yeah. I do not think of daughters of whores who are sort of like brought Mm. over because they had no other choice and what victims they are in this whole system as well. Yeah. And I thought too, I don't know. I think MJ, one thing I really appreciated about her is her spiritual development in the Mm -hmm. present as well, because it's very clear that she is part of this religious group that feels that they are, you know, uh, it's kind of manifest destiny vibes, mm-hmm. right? Of like, we're out here, we're, we're forging a new path. And for her to really reconcile what a disaster it all turned out to be and in and have her presence in nature reinforce her own faith, I thought was really gorgeous. And I think will stick with me, even though I do hear what you're saying about I, I think it is interesting to think about all the layers of the backstory that we get and how like there are so many filters through which you kind of have to navigate to be like, wait, what happened? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I didn't mind all the body stuff because it just <laughs> it just feels like when you're in that kind of situation, you're governed by your body. It's determining your next moves. Mm. 
And to be a young woman in that time means you're the most important asset you have is your body. Right. Absolutely. And, but here, here she's taking care of it for herself. It's not, you know, there aren't other people Mm -hmm. partaking. Okay. Let's listen to another voicemail. This is Kali in, in Philadelphia. And listening to the audiobook, a lot of the descriptions were so mesmerizing and and you could you could feel almost feel like you were there. But that also went for the brutality that was depicted in the book. <laughs> Those were the times where like my muscles were tense. I was thinking I was reading a, a thriller and there were times I was listening to the book and, you know, I could not stop listening until she was comfortable for the night. So I I had to get it to the point where I'm like, okay, she needs to get in that tree and build that fire. And then, then we both can rest. Um, (laughs) So it was, I was invested to say the least. (laughs) Oh, I I love love that that voice. (laughs) What I loved too, because like all of the body stuff, all of the brutality stuff is, is so, um, it's so harsh. It's so it's relentless. Um, and I think intentionally so and effectively so. But what I loved about how Lauren Groff treated the girl and her body moving through this space mm. and fleeing something is that it's not necessarily like body agnostic. It's not that she is just a person running in the woods. Like there are so many times where it points out like, what's going to happen like she she thinks like what will the men do to a young girl when she gets there like she is yeah. not just a body she's a girl functioning within a social spa- space and like running to a strange man in the woods means something totally different mm. and i love that this book kind of acknowledged that it it it, it complicate like it, it's not just saying like we're going to show a survival story with a girl, but it's like, it really kind of digs in and says like, okay, we're showing a survival story with a girl. What does that mean when you flip the genders of your your protagonist? Mm-hmm. And it is, I think Lauren Groff explores that so effectively and subtly. Like, it never feels preachy about it. Just these grace mm-hmm. notes that come up um, that kind of immerse you in the story and in Lauren Groff's critique. Did you, uh, MJ, did you have any predictions for how it would end that turned out to be right or not right? Because I found myself guessing mm. the whole time. Oh, I'm so curious because I did not have any predictions. And I remember reading <laughs> thinking like, you know, when you're reading a book and you're like looking at the pages dwindle down and you're like, okay, yeah, based yeah. off of where we are in the <laughs> story. Like, How is this going to end? Exactly. And I was like, I was so in it that I like, didn't even start thinking about the ending. And then when I started thinking about the ending, I was like, what is going to happen? What did you think? What, what were your predictions? <laughs> I predicted she was going to rejoin people at some point. Like we would see mm. her reintegrate into some some sort of population of people, probably different that... than, than the one she left um, and sort of bring her new wisdom and understanding. Um, huh. And then we have this sort of um, vision section toward the end. And mm. then I was like, I don't even know if we're going to leave this vision. <laughs> like, we might just be like real deep in her head forever now. <laughs> like, she might not make it out and, and we might not either. Um, so, so my predictions were wrong, which I, I enjoy. I don't know that I had any predictions. I think I was very much along for the ride with this one. I will say I was disappointed that she didn't join the bears. <laughs> yes. That was the point where I was like, oh, she could just like live among the bears and that would be beautiful. But that obviously didn't happen. That would have been the dream. That would have been incredible. 
I mean, right? attempted suicide by bear. <laughs> I wasn't true. True, true, true. true. <laughs> okay, let's take a break. But before we do, here's another voicemail. This is Kara in Colorado. I am happy to report that The Vaster Wilds is my favorite book of 2023. I loved the ways in which our main Uh, many named protagonist reflects on the traumas of her short life and although she ends up dying finds peace in her end Um, the baptismal moment where she floats in the hot spring and all the filth that's covering her floats to the surface just wrecked me her love of the Dutch boy and how that follows her while she's trailing after the death of her sweet Bess ugh it was so, I mean, for such a short story, honestly, Lauren Groff packed such a mighty punch and I could just go on and on about it. I loved this book. Great recommendation. Thank you. We will be right back to keep unpacking the Vaster Wilds. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. I have a question for for you all. Great. Um, (laughs) What is the longest you've been in nature without any interaction with other people? Oh God, mm. not very long at all. And and did you notice a change? I've never been in nature alone. I feel like mm. whenever I've gone hiking or camping or all of that stuff, I'm around other people. And sure, like there are quiet moments, but I don't know if I've had a prolonged solo time in nature. I have been in nature alone, but I don't think ever more than like a couple hours or mm-hmm. part of the day, I would say. Like not even overnight, I don't think. What about you? You've probably been out for weeks, huh? Yeah, <laughs> I have. But, um, I mean, I no, imagine I, your attention would just completely change. It it does. And it's one of these things. I mean, I ask because certainly not to, to judge or say anyone should or shouldn't. <laughs> I um, you know, I have I taken a subway by myself? I don't think so. Um, but <laughs> I always do think that if someone is inclined at all, then one of the most life changing things you can do is go into the woods overnight by yourself, completely alone, mm-hmm. without like you know phone contact with anyone. And I feel like once someone's done that, it just opens up a whole world because we have this block. It's like, oh, you can, you can go into nature for a couple hours or for a day or whatever. But like, if you Mm -hmm. get trapped overnight, oh my gosh, suddenly it's a different category. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. once you have just stayed out there overnight (laughs) with or without gear, it like stops being a different category, a different Mm -hmm. level of scary. 
So I was, I was just curious and I'm, I'm wondering for listeners also um, if they've had that experience or not, you know, just to ask themselves if they think it would affect their reading of this. Oh, that's really cool. Maybe we'll do that as like homework for those who are interested, not <laughs> mandatory, extra credit. We'll call it extra credit. How does that sound? There you go. Yeah. Lots of extra credit points. You can get an A without it. Exactly. Exactly. Um, let's listen to a couple more voicemails. One thing that I thought was really fascinating about this book that I didn't even realize, realize as I was reading it, it wasn't until I was like saw other reviews of it out in the world is that like it takes place during a very specific time, winter of 1609 in Jamestown. Mm -hmm. They called it the starving time. That doesn't really come up in the book, but it is very much of a very specific time and place, which is something that Liz in Minnesota spoke to. It was a really nice look into what the world was like at another time, especially as I think my assumptions of what someone's life would be like, like hers was very like lacked a lot of depth. And so I really appreciated the daydreams and the reflections into the past and like the thoughts of like what could be and all of those different pieces just really made it such a full character. Um, Yeah, I was really, really surprised that I cared and liked it as much as I did. (laughs) I think I was probably surprised that I liked it as much as I did, too. Uh, You know, that's so interesting, too, because you think one girl alone in the woods (laughs) with like some basic supplies is a timeless story, but this Mm -hmm. one is not. Mm. But what would it look like if you put that same girl in the woods in 2023? But as someone who like, I feel like has been in nature, certainly more than either of us, were you, when you were reading this, were you like, what were you looking out for? What were you thinking Mm. as she was kind of going throughout the wilderness? I feel like there are probably things that you saw or details that stood out to you. Um, that I think might pass like the ordinary uh, city dwelling readers. <laughs> I. I almost don't even want to say this, but um, I didn't think it was that brutal. <laughs> really? <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> it seems sort of standard. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Okay, so this is, um, I was all on board on your challenge to go to nature by myself. (laughs) But I think this. Well, no, it's not. That's not going to, I don't know. You're not going to eat baby squirrels on a spit if you go, just bring trail mix. You're going to be fine. (laughs) So another thing that we've sort of talked about, I think especially uh, MJ, when you mentioned genre and like the idea of capital R romanticism is the prose of this book, which is in its, in its own self, just gorgeous. And that was something that also caught the attention of Katrina from Chicago. I usually prefer books with a lot of plot. So I was reading this and I was like, skimming the description and then after a little bit, I realized that you couldn't skim the description because the description was the plot. (laughs) So it forced me to actually slow down and take in the words that Lauren wrote, Uh, which I think there's a lesson in that that I refuse to learn (laughs) uh, as I since have devoured the next few books that were very plotty. Um, But I will acknowledge that Lauren's prose is gorgeous. The way she puts together a sentence is absolutely beautiful. And I did appreciate that. We also heard from Allie in Germany who had a couple of different things she wanted to praise about the book. 
First, um, the way that Groff personifies nature, the cold wind is a hand under the girl's skirt and the falling snow tells her to keep going. Second, I thought this novel had some really beautiful moments of perspective shift, which was kind of unexpected given the limited sort of scope of the novel. Um, Like when suddenly we see the girl from the perspective of the hermit priest Or near the end there, I think, are are several moments where the girl sort of sees herself from behind herself. And there's sort of like um, these interesting moments of seeing her and not just inhabiting her perspective. Um, And third, I just love this moment with the bear. Um, Forgive me for reading it all the way out. (laughs) She thought it wonderful that if the bear ate her, some part of her would enter the bear's body, would flow through her milk into the bodies of the babes, and the babes would grow to adult bears and would have their own babes, and some small part of who she had been would live somewhere within the blood and meat and fat of all of them. The only kind of eternity there would be for her, for she would never have babes herself, and no one still alive would remember her after she was gone which is a kind of weird beautiful dark idea and I really love it oh I think that kind of speaks to the neutrality that you were talking about too Blair you know yeah absolutely and also I just love these voicemails aren't Um, they fun yeah they're they're so (laughs) smart and interesting and um I could just listen to them all day (laughs) so (laughs) it's a good batch of readers for sure that last voicemail I think clarified for me because I've been kind of grappling with like why is it that like I was okay with the fact that she died in the end like Mm. shouldn't I be rooting for her to live and like Mm. I was throughout most of the book and then that voicemail just kind of clarified for me why which is as she notes in that scene with the bear like she's by the end of the book she has become so one with nature I think in the narration shifting but then also she's like acknowledged I have I've eaten so many animals. Nature has made it possible for me to flee this far. Mm. And if I die, I want to be a part of what has been given to me. And like, mm. I want to be like food for this bear. And I want the cycle to continue on that yeah. way. And like, the for me, I think, I th- think that clarified like that the journey, she's fleeing this colony, but like, she thinks that she's fleeing to the north to the French but Mm. what we actually see is like she flee into herself and then also into nature where she is both welcomed and challenged and and you don't want her to leave that yes right and then she is rejoining a community at the end yes exactly and it's so much we keep saying brutal but it's so much less brutal and gruesome than what she faces when she's in Jamestown yes and like the scenes of what happens there oh my god nightmares nightmares (laughs) yeah truly those are the most horrific parts of the book for sure can I read a line that I underlined that Ooh, stands out to me? Yes, please. Yeah, I, I am a vigorous annotator, but this happens like a little <laughs> bit later in the book. But it could uh, could take place anywhere. It's just this this line that she says, "Oh, that this place could hold such lovable monsters in it." She felt mm. a warmth come over her for the land, as hard and forgiving and wild as it was. Like Ugh. that's the journey. She like goes out. And she at the start of the book, she says the girl climbed into the great and terrible wilderness, and by the end, she's like, "I love this land as hard yeah. and unforgivable as it is. These lovable monsters, these are mine. I love that." <laughs> um, I would love to get recommendations from each of you about other books that you think people should read that you think would pair nicely with the Vaster Wilds. We actually heard from a listener, Julia, who had mentioned um, that Lauren Groff curated and edited the twenty. 2023 like best short story collection so that's 
worth keeping an eye out as oh, well. Cool. Um, and Blair, I'm going to put you on the spot and say, I think your book, Small Game, pairs beautifully with the Vaster Wilds for a number of reasons. So oh. if listeners haven't read that one yet, they <laughs> absolutely you. should. Um, I'm also going to put a plug in for our next month's book because I think it also, it's very different. But when it comes to survivalism, there are a lot of similar threads, which I found really resonant. It's called Land of Milk and Honey, mm-hmm. and it's by C. Pam Zhang. And you've probably heard me talk about it before because it is our November book club pick. Uh, MJ, what do you think? Aside from everything else Lauren Groff has written. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so my um, I have two recommendations, one of which Great. was going to be a cheat and say, go read Delicate Edible Birds. I will scream about that from the mountaintop for the <laughs> ends of my days. Go read all of her books, but like for me, that is my absolute favorite. Okay. Um, the other book that I would recommend is North Woods by Daniel Mason. Oh, it yes, is perfect. the story of this um of this house in New England and it, there's this apple tree and it kind of follows this house across generations as different people inhabit it. But what I, I think um, con- reminds me of this book is its attunement to nature and how humans mm-hmm. interact with it. So I, I mm-hmm. recommend that one, um, Northwoods by Daniel Mason and then Delicate Edible That's... Birds by, um, by Lauren Groff. Oh man, these are such good recommendations. Right? I, um, a book that I recently read and loved and I think matches beautifully with this is uh, Fieldwork by Elena Regan, which mm. came out earlier this year. And um, Regan is a Michelin star chef. Who, yes, I was going to say. Yeah, yeah, she wrote uh, In Chicago. Burn the Place, which is yes. uh, was long listed for the National Book Award. And she recently moved up to the North Woods. Um, and started a little in based on what she can forage, um, where, (laughs) so she's out foraging every day and thriving and then making this like beautiful artistic food about it. And, um, her writing is so disarming and interesting. Mm. Um, and I love it as a companion to this one because it shows thriving right? Because it shows um, another example of someone who is not (laughs) your typical male survivalist Mm -hmm. um, and how they make the woods theirs and, Mm. and how it looks different from what we expect. Oh, that's gorgeous. That's a great recommendation. Well, thank you both so much for coming on. This was very fun. I feel like we could have talked about it for another couple of hours, honestly. (laughs) Agreed. Thank you for having us. We'll we'll call us back for the sequel. Yeah, perfect. (laughs) We'll we'll build a campfire. We'll sit around it. We'll talk about this book late into the evening. And then uh, I'll go off into our little corners to sleep in the woods. that's it for this month thank you as always for reading and listening along and of course extra special bonus thanks to those of you who called in with voicemails sarah liz collie katrina ali kara and julia y'all are magnificent eve thank you also for your email as we mentioned you know the november book club pick it is c pam jong's land milk and honey so check that out now we've got a spoiler free interview coming up with her in the feed next week so i can't wait for you to hear that as well Also, we are going to take December off from book club. We will be back with a new pick for the new year. I can't wait to tell you about it. So we will keep you posted on that front as well. 
Nerdette is produced by me and Anna Bauman at WBEZ in Chicago and is part of the NPR network. And our executive producer is Brendan Banazak. We will see you on Friday. Oh, um, I just want to say MVP shout out to the girls Pewter Cup. Yes. May we all <laughs> yeah. have a friend, a companion as reliable as that damn Pewter <laughs> Cup. <laughs> <laughs> Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Tan Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.